Welcome to Know Thy Trauma, a podcast by Wellspring Solutions Counseling Services. We are a group of therapists located in a small town in eastern Pennsylvania dedicated to helping people heal the loss and trauma that is part of the human experience. The content in today's episode can be potentially triggering, so please use discretion as you listen. If you find yourself triggered, we encourage you to pause it, engage in something that soothes you, and return when you're ready. And as always, we encourage you to seek out your own therapy if needed. Hi, I'm Sharon Wegman. I'm Kayla Cedar. And this is Know Thy Trauma. And today we're going to be talking about Know Thy Agreements. Because most people who have experienced any type of trauma have specific agreements they have made as a result of their trauma. And so I wanted to look up the definition of what it meant to have an agreement and it basically says it's in harmony of the opinion and feeling and position and it's a result of agreeing and and basically it's a legally binding event right that happens and i decide as a result of that traumatic experience that i have an agreement and that is now my truth and that is how i live mm-hmm. and so we're going to be talking about how that impacts us in our trauma and how to move through that. Absolutely. And how do you define it, Kayla? So I think pieces of the textbook definition are really important. So in accordance with an opinion or feeling, and we're going to be getting into that a little bit of where some of these agreements come from, because a lot of times it's it becomes our opinion, it becomes our feeling, and it becomes so binding because of how many emotions are tied in with that, right? A lot of times the way that I like to describe it to clients is um, it's how we're defining our truth about ourselves based off of the trauma that we've experienced. So what hurts and pains have we experienced that have sent some type of message to us? A lot of times these messages mm. are rooted in lies. That's so true. So how have I come into agreement? How have I agreed with this lie that is now an internal message that I live by? It's, it's, it's such a powerful thing that we, we when we're in counseling, we are constantly trying to figure out what are the belief systems that we are wrestling against that are keeping people stuck. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be talking about that because how we make them is often coming as a result of the people who are most influential in our life. You know, our parents are huge Mm -hmm. in these agreements, how they interacted with us, how they labeled us, how they teased us. Um, how they parented us, sent very strong messages mm-hmm. and become our agreement, yes. our truth, our trauma truth that based on whatever deficits we did experience. And the same thing would be too true with the friends that we interact with. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on your social world in, in friends at school. And I mean, I can still remember from kindergarten, very specific interactions with people. And sometimes those become our agreements yes. in how our world around us perceives us. Sometimes it's not just not not the parents, mm-hmm. but it might be the social world, and it, or it could be both. It just yes. depends on where your trauma happened. Absolutely. So another place that it can happen is the role that we played in the family home. So there's six major roles when we're talking about family dysfunction. Um, 
there's the abuser and the enabler will keep those to the side because a lot of times those are the parental roles right Mm -hmm. um so we want to more so look at what are the roles that the child would play in the home that's big so we've got the scapegoat so that's the one who does who can't get it right even if they are getting it right they're still being punished in some way shape or form they are the reason they're the person that the family points to to say anything and everything that goes wrong and is wrong is your fault. Yes. I think I want to break these down individually instead of going back to it. But, you know, when we have, depending on the type of role that we're in, it can be easy to come into agreement with that then. So if we're used to hearing from our, taking it back to the parents and the friends. Yes. If I'm used to hearing from my parent, you're wrong, you're bad, you're this, you're that. I come in, it's very easy to come into agreement with that and say, I am bad, I am wrong. And we can see how that can go into our friendships too. Think about a kid who, who already has in their mind that they're bad and wrong. And now their friend's parents are thinking you're bad and wrong and you're a bad influence on my child. And I can't have you around my kid. So now we're, we're reinforcing like what you were saying, this idea of how does my social interactions reinforce these lies? So kind of like that self-fulfilled prophecy type thing. Absolutely. Um, the hero, they're the ones who make the family look wonderful. They're normally achievers. They're getting good grades in school. They work hard. They're dedicated. They're all of these things. An agreement that can come from a hero is I need to do these things. My worth comes from being able to excel and to achieve. And if I don't, I'm not getting any of that attention. It's true. I'm, I'm, I'm worthless then. The mascot, they're the ones who are goofing around. They're just the goofball, right? They're trying to make light of situations, um, trying to make everybody laugh. And it's hard to take things seriously. It's hard for them to take things seriously. So maybe that type of agreement is I'm... <laughs> Emotions are too unsafe for me. I'm just going to joke around. I can't handle it. I yeah. can't handle I'm it. I'm just going to check out and make a joke and move on because sitting in this is way too uncomfortable for me. It's true. You know, and what I was thinking about those roles, did we get all of them? There's one more, but yeah, go ahead. I was thinking about um, how sometimes I'll have clients and they'll tell me, well, I'm this and this. And I'm like, how do you know that? Mm. And they're, they're saying, well, that's what my mom used to always say. Mm-hmm. And I'm like but you're not that. And they're like, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's their role. That's who they were. They were like, you're like your mother. What? Yeah. You're like your father. What? And then again, that's the, it comes the truth. Even it is, doesn't match any actual evidence. And what's hard about that is a lot of times I find that when a parent is claiming that we're like another parent, it's never in an uplifting way. No. It's to highlight the, the parents qualm with, the other parents characteristic and now I'm I'm shaming you for being like what I don't like in your other parent absolutely that's not uplifting no yucky so then the last one is the forgotten child or the lost child yes they're the ones who just literally get forgotten about or lost they're normally compliant they don't make a lot of noise closed mouth doesn't get fed type thing and they scrape right by underneath the surface um Mm -hmm. most parents would call that their easiest child yes (laughs) their easiest child they did not require much well that's a problem yes (laughs) because 
Because if you didn't require anything that you've already come into agreement with that belief system and in turn will not even ask for that from anybody. Absolutely. You're kind of like an orphan. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then the other one is romantic relationships. So that can really reinforce a lot of what we already discussed. Um, and you know, new agreements of I'm responsible for this. I'm responsible for that. I am allowed to say these things. I'm not allowed to say these things. You know, it's really just what do I have permission to do and how do I identify myself in these roles? Absolutely. And sometimes we find that even in like abusive situations, that abuser is constantly telling that person, you're this, you're that, you're, you're uh, spoiled, Mm. you're, and all of these words that they use to define that, usually the most giving person in the relationship is always that codependent individual who's the caretaker, is the one who's being abused and told all kinds of ridiculous things. We don't ever get the abusers looking for therapy no. from that person. But we often get the person who has been abused seeking to understand the confusion they feel about the messages they're constantly hearing from their abuser. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's so important for us to understand our childhood agreements because they are one of our trauma pieces of the puzzle that when we understand it we can disengage from operating out of that belief system but until we understand those agreements we have made we're kind of in that cycle so it becomes a very invisible binding factor that most people aren't aware of Mm -hmm. Um, so let's come up with some examples of what that would look like so one thing that comes to mind is when we're talking about an invisible invisible binding factor. So what am I indebted to almost? Like what are my limitations mm-hmm. on things? How am I allowed to view certain things? So one thing that came to mind is how am I allowed to view my relationship with food and how do I expect my body to look like? So we see a lot of that in diet culture that gets passed down from generation to generation. Women are supposed to have this type of figure. Um, Mm. A lot of body shaming that can get passed down from generation. That's good. That's really good. And body shame for women is, it's a lot. I think Mm -hmm. 70% of most women deal with some type of body shame, if not higher. I was just going to say, I would not be surprised (laughs) if it was higher. And yeah, absolutely. So, and, and then... For men, too, like, what does that look like? Yes. You know, it may, may not be centered around weight, but maybe height, maybe, you know, strength, different things like that. Of, I know there was this rule in my family of you have to eat as much to be the strongest, and the strongest person is the one who ate the fastest and went back for seconds. So, I mean, <laughs> talk about a relationship with food when you're defining masculinity around how much you can eat and all of that. That can be a real binding factor. Oh, yes. And even even like if I if um, every time my mom was sad, she went and got a big bag of M&Ms. I was taught to medicate my feelings mm-hmm. with food. And so my agreement is if I am upset, I need candy. or even just how our parents viewed their own bodies. If we're used to hearing our mother 
speak shame onto her body. Oh, yes. Oh, look at my arms. Oh, look at this. Look at my stomach. How could I have let myself go away? I need to, I ate this today, so I'm not allowed to eat that tomorrow. Oh, yes. So so now I'm coming into agreement of the limitations of how I'm able to nourish my body because of the expectations of how it's supposed to look. Oftentimes based off of uh, completely unrealistic standards, might I add. I do not know, like... So yeah, you, we re- I think there's there's a variety of people on Instagram that are good people to follow. I, mm-hmm. The first one that comes to mind is Jennifer Rollins. I think she does a really good job of of just kind of dispelling truths about food and diet culture. Mm-hmm. So um, those would be good if that's one of yours. You know, mine. The one I was thinking about um, as one of my examples is sometimes people have this belief system on how they relate to God in spiritual places as a result of their relationship with their natural parents. Mm -hmm. So if you had a negligent parent who wasn't engaging, or on the opposite end of the spectrum, a very angry parent, you'll often perceive that authority figure, not just God, any authority figure could be perceived that way and or God could be perceived that way. So it impacts a lot of relationships in your work world, out and out in a lot of ways um other examples how is my worth defined yes um so what again what do i have permission to do and a lot of times it's uh i don't have permission to do things it's that binding it's that limitation so again looking back on some of those family roles depending on what we were labeled as as a child we may be a perfectionist as an adult. We may be a workaholic. We may never be able to say no because, again, we're in this agreement that my worth is defined on what I'm able to produce and what I'm able to achieve. And if I'm not producing, if I'm not achieving, I've got nothing. Absolutely. And that can be very cultural, too. Yes. Like, you know, in our culture, the Pennsylvania German culture, your worth is your work. Yeah. And if you sit to relax and I ask people about it, they'll say, I feel so guilty. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. It doesn't feel good. I'm mm-hmm. like, why? Why? That's an agreement you have mm-hmm. made with what was communicated that that is your truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking also about what you just said was that sometimes the the what your role can be can be very tied to trauma mm-hmm. in in experience like sometimes perfectionism is based on um a very demanding parent or grandparent or even even a teacher sometimes we'll have teacher trauma mm, yes who and so those children shift to becoming very perfectionistic as a result of a way of avoiding pain so i have to be perfect to avoid pain that made me think of another thing, too, is how can I control my environment in order to avoid the pain? Ooh, very good. And if I'm able to control it by saying I can achieve and I can be perfect, we know that nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. A, you know, we are flawed by nature. It's part of the human condition, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, we are striving per- for perfection. How can I control not getting hurt again? Exactly. I have to. Yeah. And so sometimes we'll probably we would say the most controlling individuals that come in here sat besides our narcissist. That's yeah. a different thing. They are there. They are there because they had significant trauma. 
and fear. And so in order to protect themselves, they want to control yes. as many aspects as they can. And, and you said the word that came right into my mind is those that are the most controlling are the most afraid. Absolutely. People are absolutely terrified. And that's when we see a lot of that control really, really ramp up. Right. So then I've come into agreement with control as my way Mm -hmm. to deal with not of something vulnerable happening to me. Yeah. And so it's really hard for people to let go of control, mostly because that agreement has kept that coping mechanism in place. Yes. Yeah. Those are a lot of good examples. I was thinking of a lot. One more that I was thinking of is um, the fear of rejection. Mm -hmm. You know, let's go back into our social world. You know, Mm -hmm. if we go into a social situation and we are rejected or made fun of or bullied, what can happen is we we come into agreement with the belief that we are rejectable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when we walk into environments, we expect to be rejected. And so we do one of two behaviors. We are do real big <laughs> over the top yes. and we get rejected or we are wallflower and we avoid all interaction and we are rejected as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so in addition to being that invisible binding factor, they keep us personally stuck mm-hmm. in our growth, which we've kind of identified. Mm-hmm. Um Let's talk about that kind of example of what that would look like. Um, So maybe we learned as a child and we came into agreement with the idea that my emotions are unsafe. So maybe we had really big emotions as a child and our parents um, or a teacher or somebody, sibling, someone punished us, made fun of us, belittled us, some way, shape or form, sent the message that your emotions are not important. So we come into agreement with my feelings are unsafe, therefore I will do anything and everything to avoid them. Yes. I will poke fun of, I will drink, I will stay at work, I will do anything and everything to avoid having to feel any type of way because it's unsafe. Yeah, it is. is, And understandably so. Understandably so. And I'm going to go back to my rejection example. I'll go into a social situation. I believe I'm going to be rejected. I do rejectable behavior. Mm-hmm. But then on the on, but another way is I might in that belief system, um, it keeps me personally stuck because the only way I know, quote unquote, that someone is safe is if they pursue me. And that actually doesn't define safety. Mm-mm doesn't define safety at all. And sometimes people who have been in that situation where they have made that agreement with rejection or the belief, when someone pursues them, they're all in. They are all in and they make lots of big mistakes Mm -hmm. because they confuse that pursuit. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And so it can keep us very personally stuck um, and unable to define what is safe and what isn't safe in relationships. Because we could even argue that to be that heavily pursued may actually be unsafe. Because we know a lot of narcissists do that. We know Absolutely. a lot of abusers do that. Yeah, they're the love bombers. They, they're they they're the pursuers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, Yvay. <laughs> <laughs> so another one might be... Um, I'm not allowed to ask for help because, again, my needs don't matter. 
So we become very independent and the idea of asking for help is impossible. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, I was thinking it's easy to identify because it's that thing that when we think about going beyond it, we're like, I can't do mm-hmm. it. I can't do it. Why? I've made an agreement with that belief that keeps me in that yes. stuck person, stuck position. Yes. Even though I know it's what I want to do, I can't do it. Why? I have an agreement there. Um, so they keep us repeating patterns within our relationships, which mm-hmm. I said in regards to rejection yes. and abusers and things like that. Um, let's talk about more examples with that. So maybe we had a parent um, who was unable to regulate their own emotions. Every time we felt a big emotion, they had an even bigger emotion. Oh, yes. Or maybe we had a sibling who was unable to regulate their emotions and we were sent the message that it's your fault or you need to tiptoe, you need to walk on eggshells. So we come into agreement that I'm responsible for regulating other people's emotions. So now we've got a lack of boundaries and we see this repeated in um, relationships a lot because I mean that's kind of one of the core aspects of codependency yeah is I'm responsible for other people's emotions I care for everybody else's emotions it's my responsibility it's my duty to do these things because if I don't then like you were saying if I don't then what what does that say about me yeah it's 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 scary it's hard um, another pattern might be like the opposite of, of regulating a person's emotions is whenever there was big emotions in your house that were scary, you learn to hide. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, and or even in a relationship where there isn't discussion about emotions. Oh, yeah. And, they, and maybe your parents are avoidant and they don't talk about emotions. What can happen is when there's emotions, you shut down. Mm-hmm. You don't know how to engage because it feels vulnerable and scary because of the world that you came in. So emotions are scary can be an agreement that a lot of people have mm-hmm. that keeps them stuck in a relational pattern with anybody. Yes. Maybe love is painful and I can expect abuse in relationships. So if we had a, an abusive parent that, you know, we talked about this in attachment style and some previous podcasts of... Our parents are the first ones to show us what love is. So if they showed us unhealthy, dysfunctional, abusive behaviors, a child's mind only knows that that's what love is. Absolutely. So we then go forward into these relationships expecting to be treated this way. And that can absolutely keep us stuck. Of Well, that feels familiar and comfortable, so it must be love. Yes. Because we don't know anything healthier than that. It feels it feels familiar. Mm-hmm. It feels comfortable. And not because it's good comfortable. No. It feels, but it's because what I know. Yeah, it feels bad, but it feels, like you said, familiar. Yeah, it's familiar, comfortable. And, you know, even on the opposite end of that spectrum, we might say, I grew up in this kind of negligent environment. Mm-hmm. I didn't get my needs met. So when it comes to being vulnerable and in my relationships, I won't expect them to engage. Yeah. I won't expect them to give care. I hold it in. I take care of it myself. And then that agreement actually prevents there to be greater bonding. I think even too with that is we seek out then people who are not capable of doing those things for us. So it's not just that 
I'm expecting it. It's now I'm seeking out people who are not capable. And now I'm just, like you said, repeating all of these old things. So that's very stuck in relationships. It's very stuck relationships. Um, so, all right. So now we got you all stirred up. Yeah. <laughs> now that you're <laughs> we're triggered. All, we're all triggered. <laughs> what? Do we, how do we name them, Kayla? How do we name these agreements? We kind of gave you lots of ideas. Yes. Gave you lots of ideas. Well, I think maybe asking the question of how do I know what there is to name? And I think that I kept hearing you say it is if we're having resistance to do something different, Hmm. then we can almost bet that there's an agreement there. Yes. So what is it? Um, I am not allowed to do this. And then normally that's where it ends. Right. Hmm. But one thing that I like to do with my clients and and how we heal from these things is we need to take it a step further than that. We need to take it a a step beneath that. So I'll use the example, what keeps us personally stuck? I'm not allowed to ask for help because my needs don't matter. Why? Why don't your needs matter? Okay, well, maybe because when I was a child, I was rejected every time or I was told that I was too much. I was told to stop crying. I was told that I need to get over it. I was told, you know, whatever that may be. So then we look at that agreement there of I've come into agreement with my emotions are too much. I'm lazy and I'm incompetent if I ask for help. Therefore, in order to avoid feeling lazy and incompetent, I will never ask for help. In order to not feel like a burden, I will never ask for help. So again, if there's a resistance there, that's that's normally how I know. Okay. Mm. There's some resistance here. What's going on? There's a deeper message here. There's a there's an agreement that was made here. Um let's look at that. Yeah, and I feel like most people will condemn themselves mm. or shame themselves instead of Going to that curious place. Yes. Which is, why is this here? Why do I feel uncomfortable approaching this person and and asking this question? What about that? Why am I... I need to be curious because most people just beat themselves up. Yes. Shame themselves, condemn themselves, as opposed to, why is that there? What was I taught? Is that a truth? And and that's the biggest thing here is we must stay out of judgment of self. Shame is what keeps those agreements there. Absolutely. And a lot of times we say where there should, there's shame right around the corner. There's there's a couple different, you know, words that pop up, those shaming words of, well, I should be this. I shouldn't be this. I, you know, shame's right there. Shame's a demobilizer. That's not going to help us do anything different. Shame is what keeps everything in place. Absolutely. It really is. It's, a, it's, it's, it's just downright evil. It is. It really is evil. Uh, and so let's talk about how we break them. I mean, like, I have religious beliefs that say, okay, not only do I need to name it, <clears throat> not only do I need to figure out whether, what it's true, whether it's true or not, I also need to involve a, a, spirit, a higher power, mm-hmm. a spiritual power, and ask 
for me, God, to help me break that. Because I need power beyond my own self Mm -hmm. to go out of that shame into a higher empowered state. So that's one thing I'm thinking of. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Because like you said, if these things are rooted in shame, then they're rooted in a type of evil and wickedness. Like that's not to say that we are evil and wicked, but there's something spoken against us that we need to come out of agreement with yeah and so we're coming out of agreement with evil Mm -hmm. and inviting good and even if we think about this i often make my clients i'm like your assignment is to you have to tell two people that that thing that you're hiding oh wow (laughs) (laughs) and i'm not talking about huge thing i mean your most safest people but one of the reasons i want them to do that is i want them to understand that when they tell them that that safe person, that safe person doesn't shame them. Yes. And then they can feel empowered to move out of that shameful mm-hmm. place um, and move towards other things. So sometimes that's how I help them yeah. break it. I like how that just shines light on it because shame needs darkness to continue to yes. live. So if we shine light on that, we're making shame's home in habitable Ooh, so good and so wherever god is that is where light is yes and wherever evil is that is where darkness is Mm -hmm. so that's one so when when i'm not trying to get my clients to expose their worst possible things but i'm trying to get light to touch it and sometimes if they don't have a religious belief system like i do i'm just wanting them to have love touch it i want love to touch it by their safest people and it's an amazing mm-hmm. breakthrough for a lot of them yes. that they can finally do a different behavior as a result of that love. Because I would say, I don't know about you, but I find that I would say 99.9% of the things that we come into agreement with, they're rooted in lies. So if we expose it to somebody else, somebody's going to say, wait, what? Like, <laughs> wh- wh- why would you think that about yourself? Like, I have never experienced you that way. So to hear that, too, of that affirmation that, Mm. no, that's actually not true about you can be very healing. Oh, it's so healing. And I think I think even that's why the therapeutic process is healing. Mm -hmm. Like when people come to therapy and we say, that's not who you are. Yeah. I don't see any part of what you're talking about or we're validating them that just is so healing so again we're pushing therapy yeah well not that we can take more clients (laughs) right now but (laughs) we're pushing therapy because we're trying to get that shame exposed to Mm -hmm. love Mm -hmm. because love covers a multitude of things yes not just bad any kind of evil it really does Mm -hmm. and it brings healing so i don't know anything else we want to say about breaking it um i would just say in addition to that a lot of the work that I do with my clients is, you know, we, we touched on this a little bit, but a lot of times these agreements were made during childhood and it's that inner child who this was their, this was an agreement that they came into because it kept them safe in that moment. Yes. Because they were able to regulate just a little bit better in the trauma experience. So again, like I said, if we are recognizing that we're having resistance to doing something different, it's because my inner child learned to do this to keep themselves safe, 
in the face of trauma. So even though we may not be experiencing trauma in the moment, it feels traumatic. Yes. So a lot of the work that I'll do with my clients is meeting that child where they're at and, and offering that love and compassion to that child. Like, what did your five-year-old self need to hear in that moment when you were having really big emotions that they didn't hear? That's um, good. That's and, good. and offering that love and compassion to that inner child and letting them know, I keep you safe now. It was really safe back, un- unsafe back then. And you had to learn these things. And, and I can love you and have compassion for you then, and, and thank you that you did what you needed to do to keep me safe. But right now I recognize that I can keep myself safe in other ways now. Yeah. I don't need you to do this for me anymore. That is good. That is really good. And, and, and that's often the war in, in breaking the agreements is between the child and the adult. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> because the child, the, the, that was their safety. That's how they learned to, to stay safe. Yeah. And, and so a lot of that might be um, even learning the place of self-compassion. Mm-hmm. I like Krista Neff for that. She's on um, YouTube, at least, and she's got a variety of TED Talks on self-compassion. And sometimes it just helps to recognize this is what should be extended to that little. That's why they were doing it, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But now the adult has to take over. Yes. Because the child is keeping them stuck. Yes in self-protection and Mm -hmm. the adult wants to get them out absolutely and the adult is capable yes yes most of them (laughs) and if you're not then you will be (laughs) right we will at the end of therapy yes (laughs) right okay so thank you so much guys for joining know thy agreements um we are just so grateful for the affirmation that we've been receiving lately and if there's specific area tied to trauma we DM us. Please yes. direct message us because we'd love to see that. And if you like our podcast, please go on and give us a good review and give us good stars because that's how we float to the top. Mm-hmm. Give us a good review if you like this. Thanks so much for watching. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in more information, visit our website at wellspringssolutions.com, which is linked in our show notes, along with any resources used in today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to DM us on social media and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Original music featured in this episode is by Christopher Burkholder.